answering the difficult and critical questions youth may face that relate to Mormon culture and teachings. This is the Rise Up Podcast, produced by Fair Mormon. Chad Conrad is the author of a book entitled, Doubt Your Doubts. After listening to this interview, if you're interested in picking up a copy, it's available at the Fair Mormon Online Bookstore. Now, here's the interview. Chad Conrad grew up in Manhattan Beach, California and served a mission in Mexico City. He graduated with a bachelor's degree from Brigham Young University and a master's degree from Boston University, both in philosophy. Chad taught philosophy at Brigham Young University for seven years and has taught full-time for LDS seminaries and institutes of religion for probably over 20 years now. Uh, He married Stacy, his wife, in the Manti Temple, and they're now being raised by eight children in Orem, Utah. So welcome, Chad. Thanks for coming in. Thank you, Nick. It's good to be with you. So I have a quick question to ask you right at the beginning. Sure. And it's, ¿Qué tan bien habla usted español? Oh, Se me hace falta mucha práctica, pero un poquito. Okay, so the question, of course, in English was, how well do you still speak essentially Spanish? What was your response? Uh, I need a lot of practice. You need a lot of practice. You, you know a little bit, right? That's right. Okay, and that's because you uh, you served a mission in Mexico City. Uh huh. I did. So uh, I guess in in some respects, I know my mission changed me a little bit, and and what I wanted to do for a living. How did your mission influence you to go into teaching? Well, I guess I was always a teacher at heart. Okay. But my mission helped me see that that there are so many people that believe differently than I do, but that are still good people, that have good hearts, that are trying the best they can to make the most out of their lives to help other people. And... I, what I was able to discover is that the gospel message really is for everyone. Wherever they're coming from, whatever background they have, whatever their beliefs are, the gospel fits. And, and so being a missionary helped me see how, how the gospel really does unlock doors for everybody. And that's, I think, what got me excited about being a professional teacher. Yeah. So you're, you're a teacher of seminaries and institutes, mm-hmm. as we said, and— and you've taught at the university level uh, for a number of years. And even with your writing, you're still a teacher. So I, I guess I wonder what's the difference between teaching and simply telling information? Oh, well, for, for centuries, for millennia, we had this idea of teaching as someone being a dispenser of knowledge, a dispenser of wisdom, where you just open up the fountains and you start pouring out knowledge and truth and other people lap it up. But the more I've taught, the more I've come to realize that that's, that's not teaching. Teaching is helping to unlock doors that people have to walk through themselves. And so when you, when you look at how the Savior taught, he, he was always gearing his message to the individuals and it was always an unlocking of doors to invite others to walk through in the end we all have to chart our own course 
we've got to figure things out for ourselves. But but a teacher can step in and say, "Have been down this path. Come, let me let me show you what I've discovered. Let me entice you to come follow it yourself." And that's that's very different than just being a, a pontificator of knowledge and wisdom and uh, every everything that the quintessential professor would be to profess the truth to some extent can become even antithetical to education because it turns people off. Yeah. Well, and one, one thing that's, you know, as a teacher with students, you're there in person. You're, you're able to have some feedback. You're able to gauge where they're at. Teaching through the written word is an entirely different in, endeavor. It is. So how do you approach that? I mean, you're a professional teacher, so you know the the, the, the aspect of or at least the trade, if you will, of teaching people in person. What's the difference? Well, yeah, and at best, I'm an amateur writer. So <laughs> this is still okay. an art that I'm trying to learn. But but if you go all the way back to, say, the dialogues of Plato, Plato did this with Socrates as his character and many other characters, where, where you try to portray people searching for wisdom and light and understanding and and again you're you're still trying to invite your reader to join in this conversation it, you have to record it and and set it in stone because it's going to be printed but at the same time you're inviting others to come in to join in the search to join in the discussion to join in the dialogue it, and that's very different than trying to answer people's questions because you really can't ever answer people's questions. But but you can entice them to ask more questions and then invite them in and show them the beauty of discovery, that the journey that you're on, that others have gone on, and then invite them to continue that journey. And to do all of that without getting their feedback, that's that's really a challenge. It is, absolutely. Yeah. And so let's, let's actually jump now to your first book. Um, which is called Daily Discipleship. It, it interests me. I haven't had a chance to read it, so maybe you can give me a rundown of the origin of that book. Okay, the origin. I I get up early every morning, and we, my okay. wife and I, we have eight kids, and from sunup to sundown, we do kids. That's what we do. We have a, a weekly date night. We go running in the morning, but the only time I have on my own is early, early morning. So I get up early, and I read, and I read scriptures, I read conference talks, and then I think and ponder and search, and then I write in my journal and and try to relate with my own experience what I'm reading in the scriptures and in conference talks. And as I started writing more in my journal, I switched from a handwritten journal to my computer and started typing up responses to conference talks and to scripture topics that I was discovering. Then before long, they just sort of... Uh, started transforming themselves into little mini chapters where I would take a scripture, a conference quote, and a personal experience and relate them together and just write them down, one or two pages, set it aside. And then I'd be studying the scriptures on another topic and I would do the same thing. And before long, I, I began to see that there was a theme in what I was studying and put them all together and it became a book. Yeah. And this idea that it's something that people can, that they're supposed to be involved in every day, right? It's it's an everyday religion, not a Sabbath-only one, right? Wasn't that's that a right. Brigham Young kind of quote relating to that's that? That's right. That's right. It's to be, to be a Latter-day Saint is to have the gospel message 
in, infused in everything we do, in, in our work, in our play, in our families, in, in addition to our worship on Sundays. But, but our, our Sunday worship should just be enhancing everything else that we're doing. And, and the more that you can breathe the gospel in and, and breathe the, the words of the scriptures in to what you do day after day, the more you see that the gospel is it's everything. It's the eternity. Yeah. The eternity that, that spreads before us is all a part of what the gospel message is. Yeah. And that includes coaching my daughter's little peewee soccer team. <laughs> Which can be its own challenge in patience and other virtues. <laughs> oh, yeah. But then challenge to that brings out our better nature. If oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So uh, now we're let's get on to your your next book, uh, Doubt Your Doubts, and this is of course the book that we're here to talk about more primarily. It's your latest, and uh, it comes at least the title comes from President Uchtdorf's talk, um, and it's right. called Doubt Your Doubts. And uh, instead of uh, what's the the original quote that that prompted that, if you can remember it? Well, uh, what President Uchtdorf says is, "Doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith." And, and it's a brilliant talk, but President Uchtdorf's point is not don't doubt, don't question, don't seek. That, that's not the point. The point is, uh, of course, we're going to have questions. Of course, we're going to have concerns, things that interest us, that puzzle us. That's okay. But before you shelf your faith and your religion and your belief and your whole your testimony your whole experiences in the gospel because someone poses some difficult question that you can't answer before you do that doubt the validity and the power and the completeness of the question and of your ability to grasp everything right now that that's being presented to you shelf the question for a while Go back to your faith, to your belief, to your experience, to your testimony, and then draw from that strength. And then, sure, go back and examine whatever the questions are. You're going to have them. But but don't let just one difficult question or a few unanswered items in church history somehow topple your whole experience of of receiving prayers and, and seeing miracles in your life. I, I think that's that's the gist of what President Uchtdorf was trying to, to get at. Uh, so the book is Doubt Your Doubts, Seeking Answers to Difficult Gospel Questions. It's not that we're n- not supposed to question. Of course we are. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be answered unto you. Over a hundred times in the scriptures, the Lord gives some kind of invitation like that. It's like you standing there saying, come on, I, I want you yeah. to learn. I want you to, to the seek. the purpose of this life. That's why we're here. This is a test. So that means learning. That means you got to go after knowledge and understanding and wisdom with everything you got. And, and Joseph Smith, perfect example of that. Always on a quest for knowledge. Always had questions. Always. And even when he got answers, Doctrine and Covenants is full of this. He gets answers and then he just turns around and asks another question. That's the kind of gospel learning that, that I think the Lord's trying to, to, to get us to understand. But, but it's, it's how you go about seeking those answers and where you go seeking the answers that's going to determine what you end up with. Yeah. So, and, and these typically, at least the ones in your book, are, are approaching critical or difficult questions that uh, even the youth may encounter in their Oh, in they their will lives. encounter they will, them. They will encounter. You can't avoid them now. Yeah. Well, the internet and all kinds of other influences. Sure. And so at this point, 
you've endeavored to approach some very difficult questions. So, but I'm curious, how did you come to the questions that you chose to go to? Yeah. Because there's tons of them out there. Sure. But virtually, and I don't know, we have about 15 different chapters in the book that these different questions, but virtually all of them have just come out of class. These are, these are questions that students have asked in different, in different ways. At seminary, at institute, at BYU, in philosophy classes. These are the things that come up over and over again. Evolution, homosexuality, gay marriage, women in the priesthood, blacks in the priesthood. Kind of the, the sticky issues that if you do any study in church history, these, these are the kinds of things that are going to come up. Sure. And so when they do... Young people have to have some place to go where they can explore the issue. And, and if, if all they have is their, their professor at the university or their high school teacher, if they, all they have is a secular uh, source of knowledge, then, then they're going to be underprepared to deal with it. And so they need to have a place they can go to give uh, some food for thought uh, here's here's some possible gospel answers. Here are some some more questions that come up. Here are things to explore to consider, and then here's encouragement to keep searching, and don't don't give up the search, and don't think that that there's an easy answer because there isn't. None of these questions have easy answers. That's why we're still asking them. That's why they're still. Well, that's why critics haven't given up. Sure, but at this point, we're dealing with an issue that. Is nuanced, it's complicated, and it takes a while to understand because there's so much history, so much context. And, and frankly, the, the farther away we get from certain historical events, sometimes the more difficult it will be to understand because we don't know the, the context in which an event occurred. Well, and ultimately, the, there isn't an objective standpoint that we're going to find in this life where we're going to be an, be able to answer any of these questions finally. We just we just can't. They're not those kinds of questions. They will always be issues where there are different possible responses. Very and you can be intelligent, you can even be believing in the gospel and come up with different answers to these questions. And that's in part what makes it exciting. What makes the search exciting? But it also makes it dangerous because people can get unsettled. Uh, we're too often, I think, what we're used to and what we're comfortable with are the the easy answers. We want to have the quick uh, textbook reply, the Sunday school response for everything. Here's the answer. But with the more the more you study, and the more you learn, the more you listen, the more you grow, the more you realize that the questions that matter most are the ones that. There are no easy answers to. So as you were going through the book, though, I mean, you, you can't just raise a bunch of questions. You do have to offer some responses. There are always provisional answers and possibilities. And, and I don't know how successful I am. I guess we'll see. <laughs> but that has been my attempt in the book is to offer some possible explanations. Here's some, some ways of looking at these issues. A framework. It's, right. Uh, yeah, a framework. And, and, it's, and more than anything, here are some, some ideas that I've had and that other people that, I, and that I've gotten from General Conference, from the scriptures, from friends, family. Here are some, some things that have excited me, have inspired me. But again, this doesn't, this doesn't end the question. This doesn't close anything. This is just an invitation for the reader to pick it up where I've left off and to continue the search. 
So is there one that stands out as like the most common one you get? Oh, well, right now, currently, it, it has to be gay marriage okay. and issues of homosexuality. This is this is the, the hot button item in, in our society to a large extent right now um, and, and in the church. Yeah. So, yeah, it comes up a lot. In what context? What And how do they frame that question typically? What does the church believe or why does the church believe this? I, I think for, for young people in the church, here, here's the most difficult question to wrestle with. Let's say I, I'm, I'm a believer. I believe the gospel. I believe the prophet. I believe the scriptures. I want an eternal family. I believe that's God's plan. But what business is it of me to tell anyone else what they can and can't do? Why can't we just say, live and let live. We'll let everybody do whatever they want and we'll respect everybody's rights and... Kind of a libertarian notion. Sure, sure. I mean, and that... At least secularly. And it, and it resonates with us because we believe in agency and we don't... We believed in, in allowing all men the same privilege. Let them worship how, where, or what they may. And we don't want to force our beliefs on anyone. So why is the church so adamant that we need to stand up for traditional marriage in politics and school and government, all, all these different places where we would tend to want to be, to kind of just be a little more reserved and say, we'll just respect your views and we'll go ahead and, and believe what we want to believe. Yeah. So that's, that's what comes up. And, and somehow... And how, do you, I, how do you answer that? Well... Or how do you give a, at least a, an olive branch? I yeah, think. again, that's what, that's what it is. It's an, it's an olive branch. But... Uh, I think the proclamation on families, the family proclamation of the world, is just a brilliant document inspired by prophets, seers, and revelators as, as an ensign. And, and it, it's so carefully worded. We believe in traditional marriages. We believe that this is God's plan, not just for Latter-day Saints, but for all mankind, that, that society is about a man and a woman getting together and rearing, raising, nurturing children. That's, that's what society is. And there are definite exceptions and, and difficult situations to make sense of. But the, the end of the proclamation is that it's not just that this is what we believe, but that we feel divinely charged to defend traditional marriage as the backbone of society, for all of society. And so now the, the difficulty is how to do that, respecting other people's right to have a, have a difference of opinion, but how to stand up and defend traditional marriage even outside of the halls of our chapel. Yeah. And that's, that's our, what we're commissioned to do, and that's what we're trying to do. And if we, if we listen carefully, every general conference, we're getting messages on how to do that. How, how to do that charitably and compassionately and respecting people's rights, but realizing that marriage is, is not simply a civil right. Marriage really is the backbone of society, of all of society. And what same-sex marriage does, to call it same-sex marriage and to, to defend someone's right so-called to a same-sex marriage is is not just allowing somebody their individual freedom to to choose what they want but it really 
has a much broader impact it's on a, all of society. Yeah, it's 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 hard to it's hard for youth, particularly even even adults, to see the impact of certain decisions and certain policies, and it's hard to think how is this going to damage society. Right. Two people choosing to do what they wish to do, but we have prophets and apostles stating this isn't the first time in history that this has happened. Um, that this type of argument. We is have thousands forward. of years of history that we can look through to see what 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 happened to the ancient Greeks, to the ancient Romans, um, and and the, yeah, there's and even now currently we can go to to countries and, and look at the statistics and what happens to families and to children in countries that have legalized same sex marriage and and the, but now again we're going to have to wrestle with this because the handwriting's on the wall. Our own society in the United States, we seem to be. Headed in that direction, you know, and who knows what will happen with Supreme Court decisions on this. But we could easily find ourselves all of a sudden overnight, as it were, in the minority. So th so now the question will be how do we go about still defending our position when we're no longer in the majority and when it's no longer the law of the land? Yeah. Well, at this point, you know, there's there's lots of other questions that you bring up in the book and – and you offer various answers and, and opportunities for people to explore further their own answers. Um, you know, of course, seeking the spirit and things like that to come to a better answer. And uh, so with this book, it's kind of a starter, right? It's like a primer on 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 these critical questions sure. and, and isn't meant to be the be-all, end-all of every question that they have. I'm, I'm not an expert on any of these issues. So it's it's basically an amateur... Um, someone who is seeking answers, um, but mostly encouraging the journey, I think. That's, that's the intent. Thank you very much, Chad Conrad, for taking the time to write the book and for coming in and talking with us about it. Thank you, Nick. Thank you for listening to this episode of Rise Up. This has been a production of Fair Mormon. This and other podcasts are available at fairmormon.org. The opinions expressed in this podcast are not necessarily the views of Fair Mormon or The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Please subscribe to our show in iTunes under the name Mormon Faircast. Questions or comments can be posted at blog.fairmormon.org in conjunction with this episode. Tune in each week for another episode of Rise Up. Thank you for listening. <laughs>